Hey guys, good morning. What do you think about the new set, right? Pretty nice. It looks like, a, I don't know, it looks like we're in like a decorative home goods store, right? I, I actually know that you guys have seen this set now, I think, three times. <laughs> this is just my first time here, so it's kind of new for me. Maybe we should take that out in the edit. I'll let them decide. But hey, it's so good to see you this morning. I am so glad to be here. Uh, what a crazy uh, season of life, but we are really having a good time figuring things out here at Church Online. And just let you know something's coming up is this Wednesday we're going to do something pretty fun. We have a teaching team. So when we meet to discuss a sermon, before the sermon ever gets to you, uh, we actually have a team of people who meet on Wednesday to talk through the text, to give ideas for the sermon, and kind of given the nature of the fact that we're meeting virtually. We thought it'd be fun if we would record one of those meetings um, and post it online. So, so this upcoming Wednesday, we're going to post the teaching team for next week's message. So you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to enjoy, um, you're going to enjoy seeing it and kind of seeing how, how we process it. And then you'll get to see the finished message on that coming Sunday. So it should be a lot of fun, um, but we want to let you know it's coming up. But right now we are in a series where we are asking the question, what is life? What's the meaning of all this? Kind of looking at behaviors and considering what we do. And I don't know if you guys are like us, but in, in the middle of quarantine, in the middle of shelter in place as a family, we have watched a lot of movies. Like, if this thing lasts much longer, we're going to run out of stuff on Disney+. Plus. And so this is how we do it. Just maybe if you're looking for a way to be um, democratic in your picking of movies, this is how we do it at the Godin House. There's four of us, and each of us pick three movies, and then we number it 1 to 12, and we have our Google Home pick a number between 1 and 12, and that's how we land on the movie that we land on. And uh, one of the movies we, we, we watched recently is it's one of my favorites because of the emotion that it elicits inside of me because it reminds me of very specific times in my life and and it's the first cars movie okay when i think of the first cars movie i think of my son jack being a little boy and having every single lightning mcqueen figure that there was but we were watching the, the first movie i don't know probably about a couple weeks ago and and in the movie there is this line when Doc Hudson is teaching Lightning McQueen how to race. And actually, like, in, it's such an important line that they quote it in the third cars when Lightning is teaching Cruz Ramirez how to drive. And, and this is the line here. It's, it's that you, you turn right to go left. That you, you turn right to go left. Now, here's the thing. That on the surface, doesn't make any sense. That on the surface, when you think of turning right to go left, that's not how you're taught how to drive. But if you're familiar with the movie, Lightning McQueen's understanding of turning right to go left is actually how he ends up winning a bunch of races. And, and so I wanted to kind of see if that was something that actually worked in real life. And I found a very valid source, Reddit, and this is what Reddit said. It said that when your car is sliding into a left turn, the right side of your car is leading. So you're able to do that. And then it says, to put it even simpler, if you turn too far left, 
you turn right to balance it out because if you keep turning left, your car is going to spin. Now that is wisdom from Reddit and from Doc Hudson. But here's the thing about that phrase, you turn right to go left, is that, that on the surface, doesn't make a lot of sense, but as you dig into it, you find out that not only does it make sense, but it can actually be incredibly helpful. And that's the type of wisdom that we're going to see this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes as we, as we ask ourselves this question, what is life? So we'll start in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 10. Here we go. He says this, he says, whatever has come has already been named. And what is known, and it is known what man is, that he's not able to dispute the one stronger than he. Verse 11, the more words, the more vanity. And what advantage is this to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life in which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will come or what will be after him under the sun? Now, this is, these, these are two questions that Solomon asks to start this text. And really what he's doing here is he's framing what he's getting ready to say. He's, he's saying, I'm getting ready to say some stuff that on the surface you're going to have a hard time understanding. But remember that this that what I'm saying is coming from one who knows more than you. And he frames up this by asking two questions. He says, who knows what is good for a man while he lives? And then he just uh, really in that same verse, then he says, who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Now, if you're here and you have a religious background, you know the answer to that is God. If not, then maybe you're trying to figure out meaning, and and here's what we're going to find. We're going to find in these statements that sound a lot like turning left to go right, there's all kinds of wisdom and truth, and the reason why is because they come from the one who is beyond the sun. So let's look at some of this wisdom. We'll start in chapter 7, verse 1. Look at this. He says, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Now this is, now Solomon here is tying this week to last week, this text to last week's text. Last week we talked a little bit about wealth, and and what Solomon is saying is he's saying it is better, it's better to die with a good name than to die with a lot of stuff. It's better to die with a good reputation than it is to die with a lot of possessions. There's that old adage that he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, Solomon's going to say, no, he who dies with the better name is the one who wins. And the reason why we know this is talking about wealth is because of that line there where he talks about precious ointment. And precious ointment would have been something that the wealthy would have had access to that most people wouldn't. And so that's how we know he's talking about wealth there. But he really is drawing attention to the value of a good name. He's really saying, like, hey, 
this is where you need to focus your energy is on making sure that you have a good reputation, that you have a good name, that you are respected. And hear me, okay? This is so important for us to, to understand. Because right now, you're sitting at home. You have a captive social media audience. The day will come where this quarantine will be lifted and you're going to go back to life. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know how that's going to happen. But here's what I can tell you. That the things that you do now, they're not just going to stay in quarantine. That if you do things to hurt your reputation now on social media because you're just saying things looking for fights, that's going to follow you after this is lifted. And Solomon is saying, consider your reputation. Even for those of you who are in the business sector, he's saying it's better it's better to be honest with people and have less than to cheat people and have more. That it's better to be respectable in your dealings than it is to just accumulate as much as you, you can. And so he starts here, and then all this is doing, though, is it is, it is shifting our focus to something that we don't like to talk about. And he's shifting our focus to talk about death. Look at this here. And this, these, this whole like, chunk of scripture, man, if it, it sounds like turning right to go left. Look at this. Verse 1, he says, The day of death is better than the day of birth. Verse 2, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. Now this is weird. It's tough. It's difficult at first glance. I don't know that we would even... At first glance, we're probably going to wonder how much we agree with it, right? I mean, think about it. Think about the times in your life where you've gone to the hospital because a child was born. When you go, you bring balloons. You bring presents. You come with a big smile and lots of excitement. And, like, you want to hold the baby. Like, you're just, you're there to celebrate. Like, it's a, it's a momentous occasion. Now think about the, the last time you went to a funeral. I would guess you probably didn't bring balloons. I sure hope not. You probably came in with a little bit of a different mood, right? You probably came in and, and you sat down and you were quiet. I bet you were probably wondering what to say. But there was something about it that in, in that moment that there was weight to it. And and what Solomon is doing is he's helping us see the value in those moments that maybe we would try to put off. Or the value in the moments where we would try to suppress. And as he says that the day of death is better than the day of birth, 
that if you are here and you are a Christian, that's true. That the day you die is the day you truly live. I found some quotes that, that would say that, that would kind of say it way better than I could. Thomas Boston says this, and this is, one of, this is one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard on death. He says, In the day of his birth, he was born to die. In the day of his death, he dies to live. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, Upon death, believers reach their port. All danger is over, and they arrive at their desired haven. That in that moment when we die, if your hope is in Christ, it's part of your hope. I love that line where it says, all danger is over. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 1. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And, and this should give us hope. That in the moment of our life, where there's the most uncertainty and fear, God's word, as it ponders the question, what is life, says, if your hope is in him, that day that you're scared of, that day that you don't like to think about, that day is, is the best day of your existence. That day is when you will meet the one that you've been longing to meet. That, that day is when you will be removed from all pain and sadness, and you'll realize what it really means to be alive. But Solomon is shifting our perspective. But, but then he says, talks about the house of mourning. And there Solomon is, is talking about the home of a place where, where someone who was alive has just passed away. And in the line that he uses, he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. And, and as I think about the house of mourning, in, in the last five years of my life, I've lost a cousin and a grandmother. And so I've, I've walked into homes or places where people I love are, have experienced loss. And as I was thinking about this, this moment and thinking about the house of mourning, I can't help but think of when my grandma passed away. That was about two, almost three years ago. And I remember... I remember sitting in the funeral home. Everyone had cleared out, and they went out to the front porch. And, and as I'm, I'm sitting there, about three rows back, my, grandma, my, my grandma's in, in the casket in front of us, and I'm just sitting there next to my grandpa. No one's there, just me and him and my grandma. And... And I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who likes to speak. I speak for a living. And I didn't know what to say. And so then I, as I'm sitting there and processing my grandpa and my grandma, and I, and I started thinking about my grandpa. And I, I thought of 
how well he loved my grandma. How he would go and, and visit her just about every day and just sit in the nursing home and talk to her and became friends with everybody in the nursing home. I remember before grandma was put in the home, I remember going to a flea market with my grandpa and, and my grandma was, she was too old to get, she was too, she wasn't mobile enough to get out of the car so she would stay in the car and we went in and, and my grandpa, I remember he bought her some earrings in this flea market and I can tell you my grandma had way too many earrings. And, and I'm sitting there thinking about my grandpa, thinking what do I say to him right now? And all I could think to say I put my arm around him, and I said, Grandpa, I am, I am so proud to be your grandson. And I told him a bit just about how I remembered the things he did for Grandma, how well he loved her. And I said that, Grandpa, I just, I just hope that I can, I can be like that someday. The, the house of mourning brought me to that place. It forced me to look at my life. It, it made me want to be a better man, to be a better husband. And, and it was meaningful to me. Not to say that the fun things that we did weren't meaningful. He used to take me to the mall, and every time I'd go, he'd give me 20 bucks. Like That was meaningful to me as a kid. But as I look at my life, I will never forget sitting next to him in the house of mourning, processing the loss of my grandmother that that moment made me a better man. And what Solomon is saying is he's saying death is hard. There is a, a sorrow that comes with it. Your desire, your tendency is going to be to push it down and not to deal with it. But, but what you need to do in those moments is see that God, that he can bring value and bring life in those moments where you feel sorrow, where you want to suppress pain. And so he, he looks at death, and then he talks about wisdom. And the first thing he says about wisdom is something that really, I mean, really, it sounds like turning left to go right. Look at this. He says in verse 5, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under the pot, so it is with the laughter of fools. This is also vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the, the heart. Okay, I don't, I don't care how teachable you are, no one likes getting rebuked. Like, no one's like, you know what I want? I want someone I respect to correct me. Like, no one says that, no one thinks that, no one wants that. Even if you're someone who says that you are teachable, in that moment where you think you're doing something right and someone you respect tells you that you're not, it's hard. It's not something that you want to sign up for. But what Solomon is saying is he's saying those moments when you get a wise rebuke from someone who is wise, those are moments that are going to make you better. Those are the moments where you're going to grow. Those are the moments where you're going to go to another level. That you're going to get far better by listening to correction than you are by people just laughing at you and telling you how great you are. <laughs> it makes me think of a story. Uh, my former lead pastor, Dan Cole, we did an interview with him, I think it was this Wednesday. And uh, I, 
I re- I'll never forget this. I, I did a, it was probably about five or six years ago. And um, I did announcements. This is back in my youth pastor days. I think I still had really long hair. Like, not COVID long hair, but like youth pastor long hair. And, and I remember I, I did announcements. And I walk off stage. And now Dan did not word it this way. Okay, he did not word it this way, but this is what I heard. Okay, he was far more kind than this is going to sound, but this is what he said in essence. He put his arm around me, and he said, Ryan, when you're up there doing announcements, you need to stop acting like an idiot. Because if you don't, people aren't going to take you seriously when you're trying to be serious. Okay, full disclosure. <laughs> Again, he didn't call me an idiot. He was much more eloquent than that. But full disclosure, I felt like a kick in the gut when he said it. There are few things more vulnerable than walking on a stage with a microphone in front of people. Like, you just kind of open yourself up, and it hurts. But I remember just kind of feeling stupid, sitting in the seat, listening to him, listening to him preach, because he got up to preach after that, thinking of how horrible he was for saying that to me. Then I drove home, and I started thinking about it. And I realized he was right. And, and to be honest with you, that was a, a big turning point for me in how I handled myself on stage. And what he was saying to me is, he's like, Ryan, you, you might be able to get cheap jokes by acting like a fool, but what you're losing in that laugh is, is far more valuable than what you're gaining from it. And I look back at it, and even now, like it, 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 make, it made me better that he took me aside to say that. And that's the idea with wisdom, that it has sustainability, that it has staying power, that, that it, it makes you better. That's the contrast that he uses here, because he talks about the crackling of thorns under a pot. He's, he's talking about fire, that it's a metaphor, but it's also a visual meta- metaphor, because the crackling of thorns kind of sounds like laughter, and that's what he's, he's con- contrasting wisdom with. And the idea is, okay, if, you li- if, if thorns are your only source of warmth, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get fire, but you're not going to get heat. It's going to flame up really big, and it might even look pretty for a couple of minutes, but it's going to die just as fast as it flames up. Wisdom doesn't do that. Wisdom sustains you. The rebuke of a wise person that forces you to look at your life and evaluate how you live it makes you better. The laughter of fools, it might be fun. There might be something about it that kind of flames up and is enjoyable, but at the end of the day, it's just going to drift where the wisdom, the wisdom will help you. The wisdom will continue to make you better. And then he says this in, in, verse, eight, in, verse, in verse 8, yeah. He says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Better is the end of a thing than a beginning. That's probably him referencing death again. But, but the thing about the end of a thing better, like we agree with that in theory, right? Like we agree with the, yeah, the end's better than the beginning, but man, how often do we agree with that in practice? How often in practice do we really think that the end is better? Like, people are notorious for starting things. We're not notorious for finishing things. I was actually thinking this would be a great, great, great verse to put on every single Ikea box. 
that better is the end of a thing than the beginning because you get this thing and it's like a million pieces and then it's better when it's done than when you start. But what Solomon's helping us see as he's talking about wisdom is that what anger does is anger will keep us from being wise. Anger will make us proud. Anger, it keeps us from, from finishing. You know, and if you've ever been angry, <laughs> that line, anger lodges in the heart of fools, I mean, is that not a great visual? I mean, I think of the times in my life where I get angry. Someone makes me mad. <laughs> I don't want it. I, I don't want it. I don't want it there. I don't want to be angry. And, and it's just like, it's just like lodged somewhere. And I, as hard as I try, like I can't shake it out. That, that's what anger does. It's, it's hard to get it unstuck. And if you can't get it unstuck, he's saying you're probably going to start a lot more things than you finish. If you're curious maybe about how to deal with anger, we actually did a sermon on how to deal with anger early on this year. You can find it on our website at nlspringfield.com, and, and we'll throw it in the comments below here too if you want to see it, if you want to talk about specifically how to deal with anger, because not dealing with it can ruin your life, but in more ways than just not finishing what you start. But Solomon is saying, hey, it lodges in the heart of fools. He's saying it might feel good in there. You might feel a sense of power to hold on to your anger, but, but if you don't deal with it, you're just being a fool. You're just being unwise. And then he keeps going. Look at this. He says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? <laughs> Doesn't that feel like something people are saying right now? For it is not wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. And so as he finishes up these proverbial sayings, he finishes them by saying, what wisdom does is wisdom helps you know how to handle good things that come your way. So it's not all bad. Like, this, this text isn't all bad, but there's also good. He's saying that a wise person can handle blessing, whereas a fool is going to squander that blessing. But even, even just thinking about it, like, a wise person can handle a good past. That a wise person can handle a past that's full of joy, and the way they handle it is by not dwelling on it too much and continually longing to go back. That, that people who always want to go back, what they're doing is, is they're, they're holding on to the nostalgia of the past. With, and as they do that, they're ignoring some of the reality of the problems that would have been present in their past. That this is what people do. And Solomon's saying, it's not wise to look back and to say, man, I wish I could just go back. And we do this, and one of the ways we do this is we do this with, with longing to go back in time. And we think, oh man, I would love to live in a simpler day. Maybe you've heard something like this. Okay, so I did a little bit of research. Some people say, man, I would love to go back when things were cheaper. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Like, tell the person at your house. Like, I heard, yeah, you've heard that probably. Okay, I did a little bit of research on 1950. So just some things about 1950. In 1950, you could go to a movie for 46 cents. It's not bad. 
like 46 cents is pretty good. You could get a gallon of gas for 30 cents, which we're getting closer to that every day that this, this quarantine thing's going on, but so we're not at 30 cents yet. So 30 cents for a gallon of milk was about 83 cents a gallon. Now, okay, so you hear that and you're like, man, wouldn't it be nice to go back and live in 1950 when things were cheap? You know what the median household income was in 1950? It was $3,300. Do you want to go back to that? But this is what we do with the past. We romanticize. We think about all the good things and we ignore the challenges. When you factor those things into inflation, it's about the same. But what are we doing when we say that? We're looking back, just picking the good and ignoring the bad. Solomon is saying, don't do that. Then we also see here that a wise person, they can handle, they can handle wealth, they can handle finances. I mean, notice it says that wisdom is good with an inheritance. That it's an advantage to those who see the sun. It says that for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of of money, and, and it preserves the life of, of him who has it. Like, if you are a wise person, and you come across income, if, you have a, if you're a wise person, and you have a decent inheritance, here's what that's going to result to. That's going to result in blessing for you. You're going to know what to do with it. But if you're not a wise person, and an inheritance comes your way, there's a really good chance that you're going to be better off never getting that. Solomon's saying, he's saying that a wise person can handle blessing. A wise person can handle favor. And so it really, as we, as we listen to him say this, our, our heart should be, I want to be a wise person. I want to be someone who's wise. And, and some of that is being willing to be corrected is willing to listen to people who are going to tell you, you know, that that wasn't good. You know what? You need to change that. But the beauty of of God is that God wants to give us wisdom. Jesus' brother is a man named James. He wrote a book in our New Testament, and he says this, and it's a verse that I quote a lot, but it's so good. It's James chapter chapter 1, verse 5. He says this. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. So if, if you ask, he'll give it. But don't be surprised if, as he gives you wisdom, he shows you things that you need to change. So, okay, so this is where we're at with our text. This is as we walk through these verses, we see these, these turn right to go left kind of statements, and, and as we close, here's what, what, what Solomon does. Is he kind of brings us back to the beginning. Remember those first two questions that we used to frame this thing? In chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Who knows what is good for man while he lives his few days in this vain life? And then he says, Who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So Solomon gives all that wisdom in the middle. He asks those questions, gives the wisdom in the middle, and then he answers the questions at the end. Look at this in chapter 7, verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he's made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. 
You notice what's lacking there? An answer. You notice what's lacking is him saying that we can figure it out. Notice, notice that what he says, he says, he, he, so he spends his whole time talking about wisdom, talking about getting rebuked, talking about the value of sorrow. And then just as like a little add-on at the end, he says, he says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. So what is it saying? It's saying life is rich. But when you're in the day of birth, enjoy it. That when something good happens and you have joy and you laugh, enjoy it. But also realize that God can use the sorrow. A lot of us don't have a hard time seeing God using the good, but we struggle to see him use the bad. And what Solomon is saying is he zooms out and he looks at life as he's saying there is a God in heaven who uses both. And instead of spending your life trying to make sense of everything good and everything bad, he's saying, don't take that energy and try to explain everything and figure everything out, but instead take that energy as you ponder what is life. Take that energy and try to figure out. Try to understand the one who created it all. And if you do this, then what you'll find is you'll find yourself able to handle the complexity of life. You'll find yourself able to to handle the sorrow. You'll You'll find yourself able to enjoy the joy. Because you're not going to be so fixated on circumstances, but instead you'll be fixated on the one who can bring you perspective. And so as we seek this question, what is life the best way? Maybe you're sitting here watching this at home and you're trying to make sense of your life. Maybe there are things that you don't understand. Maybe there are things that you're frustrated with. I'm not going to pretend that I know the answer. But I can tell you that there is a God in heaven who does. And that your first step to figuring it out, to getting through it, to helping it all make sense, It's going to be disciplining yourself to look, as Solomon would say, beyond the sun and put your trust in the one who can make sense of it all. And if you can do that, you'll be able to figure out what is life. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, thank you for my friends watching this this message. I pray by your grace and your power that you would help them, God, to understand you. Not that we can really ever understand you, but I pray that we would look to you in our moments where we have questions. I pray that we would look to you with the struggle and the richness and the complexity of this life, and that as we do, we would find our meaning, that we'd find our purpose, because here's the thing, God, here's what we know. We don't find it in ourselves. We find it in you. And so God, just as an act of declaration, God, it is our desire to say. We trust you. Help us to know Jesus better as he is the one who makes sense of it all. We love him and we trust him. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, maybe you're here and you got questions about God. Maybe there are things that you would want to know or you'd like to enter a dialogue with maybe someone on our staff. 
The best way to handle that would be to just send an email to info at nlspringfield.com and you can just subject it question for staff and someone would, be, would love to dialogue with you on that. But hey, whoever you are, whatever you might be watching, I just thank you so much for spending this time with us. We really are looking forward to seeing you soon and the days are getting closer so it's going to be a lot of fun. Love you guys. See you next time.